0: Now the first reading, which is taken from Acts chapter 18, verses 1 to 10. Um, Paul has been preaching the word at the Areopagus in Athens on seeing an altar with an inscription to an unknown God. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive. He shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am clear of my responsibility. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshipper of God. Crispus, the synagogue ruler, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard him believed and were baptized. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading... Is taken from Acts chapter 18, verses 11 to 23. So Paul stayed for a year and a half teaching them the word of God, while Gallio was proconsul of Achaia. The Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him into court. This man, they charged, is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to the Jews, if you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names of your own, and your own law, settle the matter yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. So he had them ejected from the court. Then they all turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue ruler, and beat him in front of the court. But Gallio showed no concern whatsoever. Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Sencri because of a vow he had taken. They arrived at Ephesus, where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. Then he set sail from Ephesus. When he landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. This is the word of the Lord.
1: When Paul wrote to the Corinthians about his visit to them, he said, I came to you in a state of weakness, trembling with fear. Why that should have been the case isn't clear. It's possible that he was intimidated by the maritime city's traditional reputation for immorality and decadence, though things probably hadn't been so bad since the city had been completely rebuilt 100 years before Paul had arrived. But what's clear was that it was a city where the successful thrived and where the weakest went to the wall. If you were successful, big money was there in Corinth for the making. And it looks as if there was a a prosperous middle class there with all the elitism and snobbery that so easily goes hand in hand with traditional middle class values. If you wanted to get on in Corinth, it was really important that you made a good impression. And Paul wasn't very good at making a good impression. Unimpressive and inarticulate was the Corinthians' assessment of him. And there were those in that success-orientated city who paid scant regard for a speaker who had to resort to manual labour to make ends meet. Not always successfully. Who didn't dress smartly and clearly was not the kind of person to be seen with in polite society. In a culture where appearance was everything, Paul did not appear to be the kind of person you'd want to be associated with. No wonder then he was anxious when he arrived. He had none of the credentials. Wealth, commanding presence, good rhetorical skills, a good social following, a message that would enhance people's status in society. None of those things that people in Corinth looked for did Paul bring with him. Three factors made a huge difference to him. Firstly, he was immensely encouraged to meet Priscilla and Aquila there, Jewish believers in Jesus who shared his tray at tent making and who invited Paul to stay with them and this was with the beginning of a lifelong friendship. When he was isolated and alone and scared uh, because Timothy and Silas weren't with him, God provided people to come alongside him to support him and take him into their homes. Never underestimate the difference it can make to somebody for you to extend a word of friendship, an offer of welcome, a letter of support. If you pray for missionaries, and I know many of you do, get in touch with them just to reassure them, that yes, we are praying for you. Because there are times when the most efficient and effective of God's servants need human contact with somebody else. It made a world of difference to Paul in that situation. What you say and do this week may make a world of difference to somebody else. Secondly, there was that vision where the Lord appeared to Paul and told him, it's going to be okay. You're not going to come to any harm because even though Corinth is a pretty godless city, there are lots of people there who belong to me, said Jesus. That personal word of encouragement, that confirmation that though he was vulnerable and weak and feeling inadequate, he was in the right place. Christ was there with him. And there were people in that city who belonged to Christ who would only find out that they belonged to him through Paul's work and witness. A vision of the Lord that encouraged him. And thirdly, that thirdly, was the way in which Paul's strategy of preaching the gospel paid off. He didn't try and beat the Corinthians at their own game by pretending to be a gifted or eloquent speaker. He simply declared the truth about Christ crucified. Even though there were people there who poured scorn on the message as if it was something stupid and ineffective. And as he preached Christ crucified, there were those in that city who were won for Christ, not by the power of Paul's persuasive arguments, but simply by the power of the Holy Spirit working through the gospel, which is the power of God for the salvation of anyone who believes. And many of those who became Christians were pretty unimportant people in Corinth. Those who lacked power, those who lacked social prestige or influence, those who were easily dismissed as being of no account at all, they were the ones who gladly accepted that Christ was wisdom for them, righteousness to them, holiness for them, redemption for them. Belonging to Christ meant that they belonged to God. And that was the message of salvation that they gladly accepted. Yet there were also some people of prestige and influence who came to Christ as well. One of these was Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue. For him to accept Jesus as Lord was costly. Since later on in the chapter someone called Sosthenes is described as the synagogue ruler, it's possible that accepting Jesus as Lord and Saviour meant that Crispus lost his job as rule we of the synagogue, because the majority of people in the synagogue did not accept paul 's message, Luke says they took against Paul and became quite abusive towards him to the extent that he decided he had enough and From that time on, he would take the good news of Jesus to non Jews instead of them. Not that he went very far, he set up shop next door to the synagogue and made that the new base of his operations not a move that was guaranteed to dispel any sense of antagonism from those who didn't like him or his message. But he wasn't running away from confrontation. It was in the teeth of outspoken opposition to Paul from members of the synagogue that Paul had this unexpected convert, Crispus, ruler of the synagogue, together with his entire household. That won't have made Crispus very popular in the synagogue, And he must have known, given how unpopular Paul was with many of the people, what the results for him would be of declaring his faith in Christ. But he came to realise in his heart that what Paul was saying was true. And if what Paul was saying was true about Jesus being the Messiah, then nothing mattered more for Crispus than accepting Jesus as his Lord. Even popularity with other people in the synagogue. Even his place as ruler. Of the synagogue. For him, having encountered the truth, he had to respond to it with faith and commitment. He wasn't the first convert in Corinth. Stephanus and his household were the first ones to believe, but Crispus and another man called Gaius were converted and were baptized by Paul soon afterwards. And the result of that was that many other Corinthians believed and were baptized in turn. I think the NIV is a bit misleading in chapter 18, verse 8 of Acts. It says that many of the Corinthians who heard him believed and were baptised. And that gives the impression that they heard what Paul was saying and their response was to believe and be baptised as a result of that. But that little word, him, shouldn't really be there. What it actually says is that Crispus and his entire household believed in the Lord and many of the Corinthians, when they heard, they believed were baptised as well. What did they hear? They didn't hear Paul speaking so much. They heard, have you heard Crispus? Of all people, Crispus, he's become a Christian. He's been baptised. He's put his faith in Christ, and his household have as well. That was a breakthrough moment in terms of Paul's ministry in Corinth. Up until that point in time, one or two people had become Christians. It had been hard going, difficult preaching, stony ground. But Crispus, Crispus becoming a Christian, other people sat up and took more notes of what Paul was saying when they heard that that had happened. Because this was a city where influence mattered. And there would have been those there who thought, well, I feel drawn to the gospel. I feel there might be something in what Paul is saying here, but nobody else is responding. I don't want to go out on a limb and, and be proved wrong. You know what people are like? They wait for somebody else to make the first move before they would do something that's a little bit risky. But once Crispus took a stand for Christ, and it cost him more than it would have cost the others, there were those who were willing to follow his example. The conversion of Crispus was a decisive moment in Paul's ministry in Corinth, and that's important to remember because we sometimes have an inaccurate notion that bringing people to Christ is the preacher's job. Paul would have denied this emphatically. If people came to Christ through his preaching, that was down to the powerful work of the Holy Spirit, not down to him at all. And anyway, his preaching had limited success until Crispus opened the door and others followed. What Crispus did was set an example. His testimony was the key. And it was Crispus, one of their own, becoming a Christian. Crispus getting baptised in front of everybody else. Crispus saying, actually I believe in Jesus and this is why and the difference is made to me. That's what made the impact, far more than Paul's preaching had done. Key people in God's church are not those who follow the example set by others, but people who are groundbreakers, who set an example for others to follow who open new doors so that others can go through that door after them, who take a stand for Christ so that others are encouraged to do the same. And Crispus was one such man. He didn't wait for everybody else to make the first move. He made the first move himself because he felt the witness of the Holy Spirit in his heart and knew that this was what he had to do. The trouble is that we all like to fit in. There's safety in numbers, especially if we're a little bit insecure We don't like to be marked out as the odd one out, the one who doesn't belong. And so we tend to huddle together and that is always a recipe for inertia. But Crispus, confronted with the claims of Christ, recognised that they were true and knew he had to make a response. He put his trust in Christ and gave public expression to that by being baptised. And as a result, it wasn't just his household who followed his example, many other People in Corinth heard what he did, maybe saw him getting baptised, heard his testimony, found then the gut to take the same step of faith that he had. And they believed and were baptised as well. So as we look at Crispus and the example that he set and the results that followed, the challenge I want to issue is this. What kind of Christian example do you set for others to follow? Whether it's a matter of coming to faith, or getting baptised, or starting some kind of new initiative, or saying what needs to be said. We can all sit around waiting for somebody else to make the first move. If somebody else does it, then I'll give them my support, I'll follow them. But sometimes God wants you to be the one to set the agenda. You to be the one to make the first move. God puts you on the spot It says, it's for you to speak on this. It's for you to take the lead on this. This is what I want you to do, not somebody else to do with you or for you. Because ultimately, what's important is not what everybody else might think if I do this. But it's God's calling to you to do whatever it is he tells you to do. What example are you setting to others? It's even possible that Crispus set such a powerful example that the man appointed to succeed him as synagogue ruler ended up becoming a Christian as well. Though we can't be sure. Luke tells us that Jewish opposition to Paul continued during his stay at Corinth. On one occasion, they tried to bring a prosecution against him on the legal charge of persuading people to worship God in ways that were contrary to the law. Gallio, the proconsul at the time, threw the case out of court. This was a serious matter, he tells the Jews, I would listen to you but if it's just arguments about your law I can't be bothered, get on with it and deal with it yourselves. I've not got the time or the inclination to address this issue in my court. And as a result of this we're told that Sosthenes who is ruler of the synagogue, seemingly in place of Crispus now, is set upon and beaten up in front of the court but Gallio still takes no action whatsoever. What is going on here? It's the last recorded incident before Paul leaves Corinth, and it's very confusing. Who beats Sosthenes up and why? Luke doesn't tell us, and there are a variety of different theories. Was it the general population of the city setting upon him? Because they heard that Gallio had not ruled in favour of the Jews. He wasn't showing them favour. That meant the Jews were a little bit vulnerable, and if they wanted to invent their... Anti Judaic and anti Semitic feelings against the Jews, they had carte blanche to do so because they knew that Gallio wasn't going to intervene. So they set upon Sosthenes, ruler of the synagogue, and beat him up, and Gallio just let them get away with it. Was it the Jews themselves who turned on Sosthenes because they were so angry that he'd presided over such a shambles of attempting to bring Paul to trial? This was their chance to deal with this troublemaker, this person who caused up so much difficulty. Sosthenes had headed up their case in court and had been thrown out. They were not pleased with him. Did they turn on him and beat him up in front of the court because they were so unhappy with the poor job that he'd done? A few years later, when Paul wrote the letter that we now know as 1 Corinthians, he identifies himself and someone called Sosthenes as the authors, authors of the letter. Is this the same guy who was beaten up in front of at Gallio's court while Paul was present in the city? It's a common enough name, but the double link with Corinth suggests they could have been one and the same person. If so, how does that understand, affect our understanding of the attack launched against him? Did he become a Christian after the Jews on the synagogue turned against him that day? If you can actually, if my own people are beating me up like this, you know, becoming a Christian is, is the right thing to do. Did he become perhaps become a Christian because the people in the church looked after him and nursed him back to health after his wounds? Was it an act of kindness and compassion on their part? Or was he even beaten up because, like Crispus, the previous ruler of the synagogue, he'd become a Christian as well, and they were really cross with him because. They'd failed to bring Paul to court and a second ruler of the synagogue become a Christian and they just decided to beat him up too. In that case, Gallio is portrayed as someone who won't intervene to support the Jews in their case, nor will he support a Jewish Christian who's attacked in front of the courthouse, the building that symbolized the rule of law. We just don't know. It's an enigmatic little verse and it's caused lots of puzzles and questions. But if Sosthenes, who was beaten up that day, was one and the same as the guy who wrote 1 Corinthians with Paul, it means he didn't just follow Crispus in becoming a Christian. Like Crispus, looks like he lost his job as being ruler of the synagogue if he became a Christian. He also went a step further of leaving Corinth and travelling with Paul on from that point, becoming one of Paul's companions and co-workers. For him, following Jesus was costly and led to totally unexpected developments in his life. Going to totally unexpected areas. We were talking in a minister's retreat the other day about what it means to say that Jesus is worthy. And someone said, means when you get to heaven you meet Jesus and say, you say, he was worth it. All the cost that's involved in following Jesus. Everything that we give up, everything that we lose, all the burdens that we carry, all the grief that we get through being Christians, you get there in the end and say, worthy is the Lamb, Jesus was worth it all. Every bit of it. But I still wonder whether Sosthenes would have become a Christian had Crispus not led the way by putting his faith in Christ and openly declaring that faith in baptism. But there you go, Crispus blazed the trail. He made an impression on those who knew him. He set the example, he led the way, and others followed. What's God calling you to do? What kind of example will you set? Because if you're following Jesus, you can never be someone who follows the crowd. There will be times when you are called to take the initiative. To be the first person to stand up. To be the first person to speak up. To be the first person to take that step for Jesus. And it's risky and it's scary and it's costly. But if Jesus calls you to do it, he'll be with you in it. And it will be worth it. And it will make a difference. What example is God calling you to set to those around you? Let's pray. Lord, thank you that we're never alone. You've promised that you are always with us. And all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to you. Help us then to live our lives out of the confidence that that is absolutely the case. And thank you that we're not alone because here in this place we have brothers and sisters in Christ who are there to support us and and live and work alongside us. And thank you for the friendships that we have and the support that we receive and the difference it makes to belong to the body of Christ. Lord, keep us from holding each other back. Enable us to lead each other on. To set good examples to each other of faith and hope and love in practice. And Lord, where you call us to do something for you, to take a step of faith, to say something in faith, to go somewhere in faith, enable us to trust you. Give us the courage to be obedient to you. And as we need it, may we find others to support us, a word from you to encourage us and the ability to do it right in your strength, not ours. For your glory, not ours. For your sake, not ours. Lead us, Lord.